This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is July 23rd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, uh, Tony Sibilla, and I was at Hofstra Radio in the uh, mid-80s. I started in 85, coming out of junior college, and finished up in the fall of 87. Okay. Thank you for coming back, Tony. It's a real pleasure to talk to you again for Volume 2 here. Um, What positions and titles did you hold at the station? Um, I started out as a continuity director and then later I, uh, did program director, uh, production director. Um, I think that's it for the most part. I don't think I was, a, yeah, I'm trying to remember now station. I don't think I ever held a station manager at that point, but, um, I, I did a lot of different things, tried to help out where I could and, um, you know, just try and, and make a mark there and, uh, over time got more and more involved in it and that's when you get up to program director and station manager at that time so uh yeah did a lot of different things so continuity director production director program director but not sports director now we we had some really good guys in the sports department at the time so i didn't it wasn't something that uh, i needed to do it wasn't something that i i necessarily felt like i wanted to do i wanted to call games but I didn't really want to uh, to head up the group. I, I loved all those guys, but they were uh, they were a bit of an unruly bunch at times. So it was better. <laughs> it was better. I didn't I didn't have to oversee them. And we had guys like Glenn Koch who who was running it. Um, uh, Andy Hershon when when I first got there was sports director, and then Glenn took over. You know these guys were were really good at what they did. They were very good at at getting got you know getting the work uh, handed out and assignments uh, to to all the other guys who were calling games. And then Stu Rushfield had it, and Stu did a great job as well. So there is never a need for me to step in and do that. We always had good qualified guys in the sports department who could run it, and uh, I just was more than happy to call games and get paired up and not have to worry about doing that. Nice. All the fun and less of the responsibility. Exactly. And I, you know, that should have been more of my motto during uh, <laughs> my days at RHU because it probably would have been more fun that way. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's start off with continuity director. How did you wind up in that job? I, you know, it, it, you know, um, writing promos or, or getting, um, you know, promos for shows or getting PSAs together, getting copy together. It was not something that a lot of people really wanted to do. It was really a job that folks started out doing and then would maybe move on to something else uh, later on. It was a good way to get involved. And, um, you know, they there was a need for it. There was nothing else really open for me to do other than, you know, on-air shifts and trying to get involved in sports. So the, the opportunity was there. I stepped in and, and did it best I could. And um, that's, you know, again, that was one of those stepping stone positions that people, younger, younger people or people just starting out the radio station would get involved in. Right. Uh, so then after that comes, uh, I think you said production director. What made you go for that? Well, it was program director first. Um, oh. Production director was in my last semester there. And, and I'll talk about why that was the case, but I got involved with program director. Um, and, and really I, I did that again, because there, there was a, a bit of a need. I, there were a couple of people who were available, I think, to do that. But I think Jeff Krause over time uh, saw that I was dedicated to the station, that I wanted to help out, that I was down there constantly. I was doing whatever I could. I would fill in on shifts. I was there on the weekends. 
Uh, I was there during intercessions because I was a commuter uh, student. I didn't live on campus. So uh, he saw that I really, you know, was very much into it, that I wanted to make it a career. And so he thought uh, at the time that it was worth uh, for me to take that over. It sounds like you're playing down your abilities and your ambitions uh, a, a little bit because uh, to become program director, you sort of have to impress Jeff in a way that says, I have a vision or an idea for the station, and this is what I want it to sound like. And obviously, you said you're involved in all these different things. Um, you must have gone out for the for the position and had an idea of what you wanted to do. Yeah, I, I certainly before you ever applied for that position or had the interview with Jeff, he would he would pick your brain over time and find out what you were thinking and what what your goals were, what your own personal goals were at the radio station and whether or not, and it was, it was a smart move because it's a way to find out, does this student want to take it over because it's a position of power and they're just looking to be high up on the totem pole or do they want to, uh, do they have ideas and thoughts about how to improve what goes on at the station or, or how to deal with the, you know, uh, uh, being creative and trying to get new shows in there. And I think over time talking to Jeff and because I was down there so much and uh, as continuity, continuity director got a chance to be in the office a lot and talk to him. I think he just realized that I was very, I was very dedicated to it. And then I had thoughts and ideas about trying to continue to be innovative because college radio certainly at that time was about being innovative. It was about yeah. doing something different. It was about different music, different types of talk shows, um, and he wanted somebody who maybe, you know, had some, uh, insight and, and progressive thoughts about where, uh, where, you know, you might've wanted it to go, or at least keep the door open to have, uh, for people to come in with ideas about types of show that they wanted. And, and I think he felt like I, I had that mentality to be able to pull that off. Hmm. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. How much of the daily programming schedule from your time as program director do you remember? Like when were the classics on and like, uh, I guess there was a jazz show in the afternoon. What do you remember from that time? Yeah, it's absolutely putting me on the spot. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Classics from Hofstra was always in the morning. It was the first thing that started off the broadcast day, at least when I was there early on. Later on, towards the end of my time and then maybe a year or two after is when Good Morning Hofstra and the, the you know a morning you know a news show was what was happening before the classics would kick in so but in my time when i first got there classics from Hofstra w- w- uh, was on in the morning uh we would play uh, i think we would play maybe a couple of pre-recorded shows uh in the in the mid afternoon early afternoon mid afternoon right and then uh like typically from 3 to 6 or 3 to 7 was just jazz and then we would have a new show for about a half hour to an hour, depending on what, you know, what variation of that new show was for that year. And then we would get into uh, blues and uh, reggae shows and stuff like that later on, if there wasn't a, a sporting event. So uh, it was it was fairly simple. We, you know, we we tried to get more of the um, uh, public uh, uh shows you know more the 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 shows that serve the public Mm -hmm. during during the early afternoons that's you know when we get um maybe get learning about the law and uh you know some of the other shows that were out there 
that were pre-recorded by uh, community uh, volunteers, people right. who weren't students, but but provided some great uh, entertainment for us and and uh, and those types of uh, you know community outreach type of shows. Uh, and then on the weekends, we, we would get the polka and a barrack time, which was first when I got there with Sweet Olson, and then Basha came in later. Later, and um, then uh, you know Tony Jackson's Irish country. country. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Fallon d- uh, did an Irish show, and I can't I, I can't remember the name, the exact name of the show, but uh, the two Tonys uh, doing an Irish show, and uh, um, Les Bear uh, doing country and. Uh, Trying to think of the, there was another country show uh, that was on at that that time on Saturday. Alice Leroy. Alice was there. Alice, yeah, Alice, yeah. Western Star was there when I first got there, and uh, she did a great job on on what she did. She really knew the music. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, the 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 people who came back who weren't students who were community outreach. I got to tell you, they you know we know who work there. We know how important they are to that radio station, yeah. but it's a college radio station and the community who's there, they understand how important those shows are, but I think a lot of other people, certainly the students when you're there, you don't realize how important they are, but once you start working with them, you see how their knowledge, you see how professional they are. And you know that without those shows to help us out, first of all, fundraising, they always did a great job helping to fundraise for the radio station because we always needed uh, more funds to get things done. But just how we learned how to be more professional in what we did, we learned from those people. We learned from Tony Fallon and and Tony Jackson and Alice Leroy and Basha and Swede. We learned from all those people on Les Bear. They taught us the the next level that we needed to get to. And that was huge to be able to have those people to talk to. Amen. Yeah, that 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 comes through in so many interviews where people say, I thought I was good at running the board or producing a show. And then I sat down with Basha or Tony Jackson. And then you saw the next level and it made you just a better broadcaster and, and uh, gave yeah. you so many skills and ideas. So thank you for, for saying that. I think it's really important to make sure that we, we carry that through. Yeah, absolutely. And and they will always be in my memory as long as I have a memory. And uh they'll be they'll be a big part of what I always talk about with with Hofstra Radio because they were you know, just to be able to sit and do a show with them and then maybe even talk to them after the show. Uh, some of the fondest memories I have of working with a lot of those folks. Absolutely. One more question about the schedule. Was the late night program uh Airwave like 11 p.m. to oh, yeah, 3 a.m. Yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot that. Airwave, yeah, Airwave <laughs> was I think we got off on a tangent and I forgot. Yeah, Airwave was uh was big. Uh I think New Age Images at at one point was on from like 9 to 11 somewhere right. along that that way and Barbara Lyons I I think uh really uh, was the one who helped to start that one up. Um uh, and and her now husband Walter Ennis, I, th- I think they worked on that together, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, and really created that show, and it was very it, it was very different at that time, and and very interesting at that time as well. Um, but then airwave uh, late at night, and it was it was a very interesting show. And over the couple of years I was there, I, I did it plenty of times. I wasn't a regular host of it, but I did it uh, to to help out from time to time, and. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun with that show. It was a blast. Absolutely. So who were some of the other people that you were working with at the station, maybe on the executive board, the station manager or program operations director, news director, when you were program director? 
I I think when I first took over program director, I believe at least for a semester. So I want to say Dave Bolander was there as general manager, or or it was Jim Vazios. I'm trying. Yeah, I am so tough at at uh, remembering details. Mm-hmm. But Dave was there. I know Jim Vazios was there. Karen Kulig was there. I don't know if she was news director at the time. Uh, Jason Levy was there. He was doing. Uh, I think he was doing continuity and uh, and and like you know trying to help market us a little bit better. Um, get get the word out there. But at that time, you know, there was no social media, so it was hard to get the word out. But yeah. trying to play stuff on our station, get people to know who we are, who the shows were, uh, that was important. So, um, well, I mean, I think Stu was a sports director at the time. Steve Goldman was an assistant sports director. And then I think he took over at one point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of really good, uh, interesting people, a lot of fun to work with. Um, I want to say it could be that Joanne Sierra was a production director, maybe that first year. Um, I don't remember offhand. I know she, she wound up doing a few different things at, at the radio station, including uh, uh, her show. And then we were talking about that before we, we started right. this, the perfect, perfect beat. Yeah. A really good show. She wound up really getting into, into house music and, and, and having her own company based on that and uh, just did gangbusters with it. But she was incredibly knowledgeable about music and uh, you know, we, we had a, a lot of really good people. Uh, Butch Raspy um, was there as well. And uh, Tim McDonald was there. They they worked as uh, music directors, I think, at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Renee DePew came in later and uh, Eileen DeCallis uh, towards the end. Like, right when I was ending, those people were coming in. I got to know them a little bit, too. So it was uh, – it, it, we had a lot of good people who really had a lot of passion for what they were doing. And, um, it, you know – but with that passion also comes uh, <laughs> comes egos, and uh, I, I and also I, I think and I don't know you know Brian I'm not sure how it was necessarily when you were there you weren't there too much you didn't start too much later than I did no ninety to ninety four I was there so yeah I, so I, so those folks that you mentioned Renee and Eileen they were leaving as I was coming in so I get to know them as well right um. The the radio station uh, could have doubled as a psych ward as well, because we and me included, we were all a little bit. Uh, you have to be a little off center to be in broadcasting, I think, and, yeah. and egotistical, a little off centered, uh, more than happy to put yourself out there. And with all that, sometimes we had a lot of fun. Well, most times we had a lot of fun, and sometimes we would have clashes, and and you'd have to deal with that a little bit. So you know, positive, negative about all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure how I got off on that part, but it, it was, <laughs> it, it's all part and parcel with being at the station. And and if you had a position like station manager or program director, you know, you had to deal with a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And, it, and that's another learning uh, situation for you in college. It's like, okay, if you want to be in charge, here's what you have to deal with. You have to deal with a lot of different personalities and, and they all have goals and desires about being here at the radio station and maybe wanting a career with it. And you've got to take all that into account. And, you know, th- there were things I did right. There were things I did wrong. And, you know, you learn from it. And I think Jeff Krause really wanted us to have the opportunity to be in positions like that. So we would learn lessons uh, about how to deal with people. Yeah, that, that comes through in a lot of these conversations. And like you say, the radio station was a home for a lot of people who didn't fit other places, the misfits and oddballs. And yeah. a lot of people started the station 
said that they were very quiet or introverted or shy. And then you put them behind a microphone or you put them behind a board and then they develop these personalities. And so it's this, it's this flux of personalities and, and maturity levels that, that make it really interesting, but also a little bit fraught at times. I think, uh, as you mentioned, you have to learn as a student manager, how to deal with those things. So, uh, but you had Jeff Krause to lean on and he was always good at managing those sort of, uh, situations. Well, you know, if one thing that, that the Hofstra radio station and all the people who have been through it, uh, are lucky to have, they were lucky to have Jeff Krause and they were lucky to have Bruce Avery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, when Bruce started, I, I didn't know much about him, didn't know what to expect. And, uh, you know, he has taken the station to, to heights that I don't know any of us who went to Hofstra at the time and, you know, back in the eighties, uh, even before that, uh, could have imagined where it is now. So, uh, two tremendous leaders that, that led for the longest time at, 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 uh, Hofstra radio. And we're all very fortunate to have worked under them. Yep. Yep. Uh, before I forget, I want to get back. You said you did program director and then you finished up your career at Hofstra radio as a production director. Yeah. So some people will finish and then that's it. They don't take it on another management position, but you decided to do production director. Yeah. I I wanted to get more involved in being able to do production, to be, uh, to be ready to work at a radio station. If, if I needed to, uh, right away, I wanted to be able to cut up tape more and, and be able to, to do production, um, because the station needed it for sure. And because I needed to learn it more than I had been now with sports, we, you know, we did a lot of, we did a lot of promos and, and, um, and, and some music production so that we could have, you know, music beds during our broadcasts, but I needed to learn more. I wanted to learn more. And, uh, and quite honestly, it really came into, uh, it really came into a lot of help when I first started at WABC. Uh, you know, there were some shifts where you needed to cut up news actuality pretty quickly and get it ready. And, uh, because I did that production towards the end of my uh, college career, I was able to uh, transfer that pretty quickly, and, and and it was a big help to be able to do that. And you know, that's back before all the digital stuff. So mm-hmm. when I say cutting up tape, there might be a lot of younger students who who have no idea what that means. But um, it was it was a skill that you needed back then. Even a big station like WABC, there was no digital back in '89. There was, you know, there was tape, and you had to be able to record stuff, cut it up get it on carts and get it to the newsroom and, you know, whatever it was, uh, be able to record a bunch of uh, commercials on carts so that they can be played on air. All that was stuff that I learned more in my last semester at, at RHU. And, um, you know, that's why I did it. I think it helped pay off for me. And, you know, it, it also got me to be a little more creative as well, which I really enjoyed. Hmm. Were the, was the studio a four track production studio at the time? Or was it up to the eight track studio? I think it was still the four track machine. The the main production studio was still four track. There were uh, there was two track. Uh, yeah, it was two track and four track. I think we actually call them the, that. Yeah. The studios. So yeah, I I would work. The production director would work in that four track studio, the the bigger production studio, and uh, and be able to, to to do commercials in there and do recordings and get people to do voicers so that you can you know, record these promos for the show. So, and it got in because, you know, you have four tracks, you can be more creative with music, with sound effects, with, uh, with voiceover work from the announcers. And, and, uh, it was a lot of fun doing that. So I was, I was more than happy to take that job over. 
Very cool. Um, is there a story that you always tell when you talk about Hofstra Radio? Is there something that always comes up? You know, I might have mentioned this uh, the last time we talked, but uh, I, I know I mentioned one of these things, and that was the the first show that I did on my own, uh, what we used to call combo uh, announcing, where you announced, but you also ran the equipment. You ran the board. Um, and that was on Christmas Eve right. in 1985. Yeah, I guess it was 85. Um and just doing the show by myself. I still have a tape of that somewhere uh, in, in this house. And, um, and I definitely was nervous about doing it. And, you know, about maybe an hour or so, hour and a half into the show, Jeff Krause gives me a call on the phone and says, Hey, uh, Tony, how you doing? How's everything going? Uh, and, you know, no, I'm doing fine, Jeff. Uh, everything's okay. Uh, no, <laughs> no major issues yet. And he said, do you want me to, do you need anything? You want me to bring you some coffee? You sound, you see, he's like, you sound a little tired. <laughs> like, well, it's almost midnight on Christmas Eve. I, yeah, I just, it just got done with a big meal and a big gathering with family. And then I drove down to the radio station to do a show. So I was, I was a little tired for sure. But I share that story because it was a, it was the time when I realized you know, up until that point, I think everybody at the beginning was terrified of Jeff Krause. And he seems like, you know, at a moment's notice, he would cut your head off and, you know, uh, don't don't cross him. Don't anything. When he called me that day and showed concern and, you know, caring and compassionate. That's when I realized, you know what? He's a human being like the rest of us. And he is he really does care about his students. And I should not be afraid of him. He does want us to succeed. And from then on. We had a great relationship. I would kid around with him a lot. And uh, that helped op that helped open up my relationship with Jeff, but also just my relationship with the radio station to realize, hey, we're all we're all trying to do the best we can. We're not trying to cut people down here. We're just trying to get things on the air and make it sound good for the listener. And Jeff does care. So loosen up and have fun with this. And from that time on, uh, I did have fun on the radio station all the time. Otherwise, I, I didn't do it. And um, you know, I, I, I talk about that story a lot. Uh, I talk about the game that Steve Goldman and I did, a uh, playoff game for football, Hofstra against Fordham. It was, uh, it was in the teens. It was windy and Hofstra got beaten badly in that game. And, and Steve and I are in dress shoes and, and dress socks freezing. We think our feet are about to fall off. Mm. Um, and so that was, that's always a story I talk about just because it was, uh, it, it was something, uh, it was an experience that we always, that Steve and I always talk about. Um, you know, the first time I ever went down to the radio station, before I joined the station, I wound up watching, uh, a, a, it was basically a classic rock show in the evening, and and Larry, Larry Storch and uh, Kent Frank were doing the show, and I watched these guys do a show and be funny with each other and be very creative, and, 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 I, and that's when I realized... Yeah, I, I did want to do it before, but now I really want to do it. So that was before I even joined the station. I watched these guys. I knew somebody who knew those guys. And yeah, come on down. Take a look at what we do. And that got me hooked big time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we Stu and I did a uh, we did a men's basketball game during intercession at, in January when they, they played Clemson. Uh, Clemson came into our gym to play 
uh, uh, Hofstra and Stu and I were deathly ill. We both had the flu, but we weren't missing the game against Clemson because <laughs> it was, no, there was nobody else anyway around, and we wanted to do that game. And we were both. It might have been one of the best broadcasts we ever had, but we were both deathly ill uh, for that one. So <laughs> it's stories like that, you know, uh, the you know that always come back to mind. And and then I think the other one I thought about was. Uh, I, I did an airwave show with Ethan Dreilinger and Doug Oaken. And I think Doug was, I think was it, it might've been Doug who was sitting at the desk at one of the towers. And we got some guy who was delivering pizza. Uh, um, he was talking to him while he was on air with us and we got him to forget who he was delivering the pizza to and bring it to us. We paid the guy like 20 or 30 bucks to bring us a pizza. So it was just, uh, just stupid little stuff like that that always stick out in my mind. Oh, those are great stories. Thank you for sharing. Um, is there a story that comes to mind that you rarely tell or just, just doesn't come up that you think is important to share or, or, or reminds you of those days uh, as a program director or as, or as any part of the station? Well, Brian, I'm sure it was still pretty uh, boisterous about the time that you were there, but there's probably a good 50 or so stories I could tell about some drunken escapades on air, but uh, we, we try not to talk about that <laughs> too often. Uh, we, oh yeah, there is, you know, there are a lot of the typical radio stories that you hear about where, you know, yeah, you, you surprise the DJ on the air with, uh, with someone showing up in the studio and you try and get them to laugh or you try and get them to, uh, to say something bad. Uh, I don't, I, I don't talk about, I don't often talk about the couple of times when we did a Christmas show and both myself and Steve Goldman accidentally cursed on the air. Oh no! Because uh, that's embarrassing when you do it during a Christmas show. But uh, <laughs> how how on earth? I, maybe I don't want to know. How how do you, how do you wind up cursing during a Christmas show? I'd have like, to listen back to it. Both of, you know, <laughs> the, both of us dropped the f bomb during a Christmas Eve show. <laughs> I don't know how, but we did, and we were always very good about that. But I think eh, I think we were getting tired. I think you know. I used to have these guys over at my house, like Steve Goldman and Stu Rushfield and some other guys who might have lived further out in Jersey and then would also stay on campus during during the holidays. I, I live 20 minutes away from Hofstra, so I would invite these guys back to my house. My mom would say, hey, tell your friends to come. So we'd, they'd have Christmas Eve dinner with me, and then we'd all go drive to the radio station. Actually, uh, I think I know why that happened a couple of times, because we didn't go to the radio station first. We would go to Jeff, uh, Jeff uh, Krause's house. Uh-huh. And go talk to him for about a half hour to an hour, and have a couple of Shivas Regals, and then go and and do the the show. And I think that might be why we we dropped an f bomb once or twice. But Got uh, it. yeah, well, that's that's a memory. Like going to going having these guys at my house for dinner, Christmas Eve dinner, going to sit with Jeff Krause for a, a little while, talk to him, BS with him for a bit, have a couple of scotches, and then go and do the show. That was. Though that will always be a great memory in my mind because again, we got to know Jeff more personally. We got to talk about a lot of different things and it was just always fun sitting down with him and, and then doing the show. Oh, those are great memories. And it, and it comes full circle. You know, there's that first time that you're on the air on Christmas Eve and Jeff calls yeah. you about the coffee. And then, you know, as you spend more time at the station and get to know him and work at the station longer, he's inviting you to his house and, and making that personal connection. That's fantastic. stuff. Yeah. You know, th- things not, I mean, look, the, the things I don't talk about are when we had issues with staff, when, yeah. when I've had to let staff go, 
uh, from a job, um, that kind of thing. You know, we usually don't talk about it because it's just not, you know, I, uh, you know, maybe in the first few years out of college, I'd be like, yeah, I had to let that person go. I don't know what the heck they were thinking. And, you know, and then you rant about it. Now it's like, hey, you know, it's whatever happened, happened. Uh, I'm sure we're all well past it. And, you know, we all had, we were all right and wrong about those types of things. But, uh, you know, that those are always tough when you, when you're a student and you have to get another student off of a shift, off of a show, off of a position, it's tough because, you know, they're your contemporaries and you're, uh, you're really at the same level they are. And you have to, you have to do something tough, but that is, you know, again, if you want to be a manager in real life later on, you've got to be able to do these things. And, uh, Never easy, but th- those are the stories I don't talk about because it's just, you know, you, you hate to say, uh, you know, that that person was deserving. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. You know, we, you made a decision as a 20-something-year-old, 20, 21-year-old, 20, and, you know, it, it was what it was at the time, and maybe you would do diff- things differently now, but uh, it's, it's a life experience. It wasn't great, but, you know, those are, again, those are the things that you, it's not just all about learning about, announcing on the air or how to host a show or how to do production or how to call a game. Sometimes it's about how do you deal with other people? And, uh, you know, the job did that as well for me. It taught me to, to, to deal with the highs and lows of, of being in management. Yeah. Yeah. It is a hard thing to do. And I'm sure a lot of people are listening along and like myself nodding and going, yeah, that that was a, a tough part of the, the, the gig. But on the other side, like you've mentioned a couple of times, you give someone an opportunity to get on the air or you approve their show. And those are the great things that, that keep you going through those things that, that, that make you feel really good about the job. So yeah, like yeah. you said, highs and lows. Yeah. The only other story I wouldn't probably put a lot of detail to would be the time that Marshall Hausfeld and I went to uh, Raleigh Durham to do a girls basketball tourney over the uh, new year's Eve uh, holiday. Um, I think we might have spoken a little bit about that, but there was uh, there was a lot of drinking. Uh, there was a bathtub full of cores and a couple of bottles of Mad Dog Twenty Twenty, and just a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> and we had a blast. And the teams were staying there in the hotel with us, so we we hung out with them a lot, and uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun that 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 couple of days. Uh, please say no more. We'll protect the guilty. <laughs> Um, you've mentioned a lot of really great stories and events, the Clemson game and other things. Is there uh, a game or an event or a story or a song that defines your time at the station or, or makes you think, yeah, that's, that's what it was all about, or that was an important moment? Man, I, I, you know, the first two things that came to mind for me and, and, you know, not pleasant things to talk about, but, um, there were two times when, we wound up doing a lot of coverage on air at WRHU and I really got involved in it because, you know, we were all involved in it were when, uh, was the shuttle accident. Hmm. And, uh, in 89, even though I was, even though I had graduated, I was still helping out from here and here and there was the, um, San Francisco earthquake, uh, coverage. Uh, I was with, uh, where was I? I was with a few people. I think Tim, it's a Tim McDonald. I think maybe Ethan Dreilinger, Doug Oaken. I'm trying to remember who was there with us, but we were heading to, it may have been Andrew Schmertz's house, or we were heading to someone's house to go watch the world series. Um, 
And all of a sudden, we heard this announcement come over uh, the radio, not RHU. I think we were listening to another station, and we heard about the the earthquake and what was going on. And immediately, <laughs> we there was no no more going to the house for the baseball game. We went right to the radio station, right to WRHU, and then started doing live updates for the rest of the night, overnight. Um, uh, we, we, we tried to get as much knowledge, as much information as we could. Uh, you know, I was, we, we were doing things like, uh, taking, taking network feeds from other radio stations and cutting them up and playing them back just because they were, they were generic enough where we didn't have to worry about people understanding it was coming from a radio station. But, right. um, but we, we were there covering those stories, getting as much info as we could. Uh, and it was those are those are two moments that will stand out in my mind because again I think the shuttle accident was in January. I I don't know if the semester had started or not. I'm not sure. It might have just started or it might have just been just before. But you know we were all down. Many of us were down there even when school wasn't going on, mm-hmm. and we did what we could to help out for that coverage. So you know those those two events were were really somewhat defining in in our passion for it in our desire to uh to tell people what was going on and um you know those are the first those are the only two or really the first two um events that stick out for me you know other things that other things that remind me you know if i hear um i'm trying to think of the uh the, well, it's a city of New Orleans. The song from uh, Willie Nelson, his version of it. Um, that's a song that I would start my country show. I, I did a show called Country Roads for about a year or so, yeah. and that would start off my show. So every so often, I, I work with a company called Music Choice, and every so often, if I'm listening to country uh, channels or whatever, I'll hear that song pop up, and and I'll immediately think of of my show and the time I spent down there doing it and all the great music I learned about. So, um, you know, there are things like that. And there, there are some other songs that, you know, if I hear a lot of the new wave stuff from the 80s, when I hear that pop up, that that brings me by, right back to Hofstra, right back to WRHU and, and Airwave and, and all the people who did Airwave, you know, folks like Darren Smith and Lori Gale and, um, and Butch Raspi and uh, Joanne, uh, did did that show a lot too? I I hear some of that music and I I think of those people right away. So, um, yeah, there's there, you know music and certain events set off uh, uh, that that really define uh, RHU for me and what I experienced at that time. Mm, mm, those are great memories and 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 great songs. Thank you for mentioning those. Um, if it's okay, I want to double back because um, I had this sort of vague question about you know people running to the radio station during breaking news, whether it was, uh, you know, sure. I talked to, to Jared Greenberg and Dave Plotkin about 9-11 or about the the blackout or the Colin Ferguson, uh, Long Island Railroad shooting and all these things. And and you said you these guys, you were planning to go watch the World Series and immediately you turn on your heels and you head to the station. Yeah. And I, I don't know, is it is it something about the radio station and the culture or the people who are drawn to it? What makes us do that? Because all of us have stories like that, that you forget what you're doing and you go to the station just to help out or be part of things. And I, I just, I, I don't, again, really have a question, but what, what is it that brings us all to do that? I, you know, I think it's a really good question. And I think, you know, when something like that happens, 
I, I think part of it is I don't know what to do with this information of this tragedy that's going on, but I I have this information. What is there anything I can do that would be useful at all right mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a radio station that we can broadcast on. We we can, you know, if people are listening to us, we can tell them what we know about it. We can inform them. We can help look for information. You know, again, no internet back then. Yeah. So people were relying on TV and radio. And if people were, um, if people were at work, you know, the only thing they would have had access to is radio. That's it. So, you know, our, our desire, I think part of it is our desire to help out uh, where we can at the time of something really drastic going on. And I think your adrenaline gets up when something like, like the shuttle or something sure. like the earthquake happens. I was up all night uh, recording feeds and, and uh, getting them back to the guys and uh, um, you know, uh, all night of the earthquake. I, I think you just want to help out. I think you're amped up because of the story. And there's something, you know, there's something about people like us who've been in broadcasting that if you get into it, it's because you want to tell a story. It's because you want to let people know what's going on. Uh, especially if you get into news, how, how do you not, you know, right. uh, Andrew Schmertz and Doug Oak and, and, and those guys and Ethan Dryling and all those guys, you know, they were, they were very good talkers and they, they wanted to inform people. So I think they wanted to be there to do that. And, and they knew how to, they knew how to do it well. And, and I would help out where I could as, as well. And, it was just, um, I think it's just instinctive when you're in broadcasting to try and inform people, but you know, it's also, it's also, you know, uh, it's a bit of an ego as well, as I mentioned before, because you have, you know, you have this, this voice and there aren't many people certainly at that time who have the voice to be able to go on the air and do that. And so when you have it back in the eighties, when you have the ability to go on a radio station uh, and uh, talk about something like this, you 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 do it because you have a chance to inform people, and part of your ego also always kind of wants to be on the air doing something right. that is, uh, you know, that uh, is positive or useful at all. So yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a complex question. I think it all it's it's because of the mentality of the people who work in radio and TV and and news in general. Uh, I think you you want to be there to get all the information and, you know, and for radio people, you want to be there to tell people what's happening. And, yeah, maybe you're maybe you're uh, informing people and helping them understand something that maybe they they don't have a lot of access to right now. And you're, you're helping them out. Yeah. Thank you. That's a that's a wonderful answer. I, I love, you know, that idea of service. I remember Jeff Krause talking about that and mm-hmm. Bruce Avery and now John Mullen, they talk about serving the community. And then there's that that teamwork and that camaraderie. I mean, you knew these guys would be there and you're saying that you're helping out in your way and there's there's a community that you know it's not just you and like there's that ego part of it, but also like we're gonna go through this together and be of service and and work together. It's um uh, you, you articulated it so much better than I did, but, uh, but, but thank you for, for taking a, a shot at that. I do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, is, you may have already mentioned it. Is there, is there a, a, a proudest or biggest accomplishment at the station that you think of? Uh, well, I tell you what, I mean, just showing up at the radio station that first day, what I felt was huge. Um, and again, I've talked about this before. Uh, I was starting to take broadcasting classes 
I hadn't gone down to the radio station in the first month or so. And then Mike D'Antonio, um, after talking to him in class a few times said, Hey, you know, just come on down. It's not, it's not scary. It's not, you know, it's not what, what you think it's going to be. It's, you know, it, you're going to wind up seeing a lot of big, um, you know, a, a, a lot of big personalities, but everyone just wants to have fun there and just wants to enjoy their time and come on down. It's, it's not, you know, it's not going to be scary. And, getting down down there and talking to people and getting to know Jeff a little bit and early on. And, you know, that I, I wasn't a very outgoing person before that, you know, and that's the funny part. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of always love sports. I love the idea of sports casting. I was not big on public announcing. Um, and I was a pretty shy kid for the most part, but getting involved in that radio station really got me out of my shell. And, um, maybe too much at times, but it really got me to be a lot more personable uh, and, uh, and vocal. And so getting down there on the station the first time was, was, was a huge, you know, was huge for me. It it, it was a huge accomplishment because it really got me down that road. Um, You know, I think sports casting in general uh, was huge. It was something that I always dreamed of doing. And the first time I really got on the mic for a game was, um, it was surreal. It was like, wow, I'm actually doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And then be able to do a bunch of games and, and get out there with, with some great people like Stu Rushfield and Steve Goldman and Marshall Hausfeld and Mark Ernay. And, you know, I mentioned Ben uh, Buckwald and uh, Glenn Koch and Pete Caldera, just so many great voices. Andy Hershon uh, was, was a blast to, to do that. Um, the only, the two other things I thought of, and and maybe I don't know if you've talked to Jason Levy, but I know that you know he he's talked about this, and Vic Bilsick and Karen Kulig have talked about this before, uh, doing the instant of cooperation, which was the, that international broadcast that we right. we worked with a few other stations, and we we had a a, a, a I believe we had a a Russian uh, a news person there covering it, kind of getting an idea of what we were doing, and it was like wow, this is this is something that's fairly big and international. You know, it's not something that we ever thought of, but you know, wow, this is, this is a really cool thing. We're all helping out. We're all involved in it. We're hearing other broadcasts going on that we're putting back over the air. We would pop in with some stuff from time to time. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and, and really a point where it felt like we felt like we were doing something very important and that, yeah. you know, that was nice to see. And then the last thing I would say was, you know, Again, really time when I was done being a student, but I did an an interview with Omar Hakim, who was a very well-known drummer who played with Sting a lot on a lot of his albums and was a a heck of a jazz uh, artist. Um, I I got to know James Golden, who was a producer at WABC. He was he was uh, he knew Omar very well and was a writer with him. And both of them came in and, and we did an interview live on air during the Just Jazz show. And. Uh, just to be able to talk to somebody who was pretty, pretty well known at that time to get him down to the radio station and talk to him was, was a lot of fun. So yeah, that was, that was, a those are some, you call them accomplishments, but I was, there were moments where I, I was really proud to, uh, to be on the air and to do things. And, uh, I think all those events were, were, it's stuff that I'll always uh, see as markers in, in my time at RHU. 
Those are great stories. Thank you for for sharing them. I want to go back a little bit. You sort of mentioned earlier the the, the pressure of being a student manager and and all the stuff going on. Was there ever a moment where you thought, you oh, know, this is this is too much, or I don't want to do this, or or it's too stressful? Was there ever a time you thought about leaving the station? Yeah, I, I think when when you're out there, program director or general manager or uh, sports director, news director. Um, I think music director, I think you kind of, you kind of out on your own for the most part with that. I think you were left alone. I think because most music directors that I worked with, uh, like Butch Raspy, uh, like Joanne C, Tim McDonald, those, those guys who got into it, Renee later on, they all knew the music really well. Hmm. They were all incredibly intelligent about it. Uh, Darren Smith, I keep, I don't know why I keep forgetting to mention him. He is, you know, he is, he is a voice and a huge influence over at Sirius XM for, for new wave and, and, and that alternative music, Uh, you know, incredibly well knowledgeable people about that music. So music directors tend to be left alone because they, they typically were experts when we, when we had them there. Um, but when you're a program director or a GM, you know, you, you have to deal with people a lot more. You have to deal with with folks who who want to maybe bend the rules a little bit because they're college students. They're going to bend the rules. It's, it's what we did. Right. Sports. The, you know, the sports uh, department was uh, was notorious for that. Uh, it, as great of a broadcast as we always put on, we, we we did our we did things the way we wanted to. And we worried about consequences later. Um, so being a program director or, or a station manager, it, it was tough. And at times, you know, you, you would have disagreements with people and you would feel, well, okay, I think, I, I think there's a few people who think I'm not doing this job well, or, or, uh, you know, think that I'm lacking in something. And they, you always felt like somebody was waiting in the wings to take over. And, you know, there were times when I felt like, do I really want to deal with this? I stuck it out, but that's why I became program director, uh, um, became production director in my last semester because, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go out being a program director. I wanted that pressure to go to somebody else. Hmm. I wanted to just. I wanted my last semester to be about learning, about honing my craft, and being ready to come out and do a job in radio. That you know, that's what I was looking to do for my career. So, you know, those 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 higher pressure jobs absolutely. Uh, I think for yeah, I can't speak for everybody, but I, I bet for a lot of them, p- folks were like, "Yeah, do I really want to do this anymore? Is it time to to just move on and just do radio again?" And I think we probably all come to that. You get that taste of you get that taste of power, and then you realize there's a lot of downfall to go with it. So, you know, that would be the time that I thought maybe I, it's time to to move on. But I never wanted to get out of the station. I just didn't want to be part of management at some point. Yeah, yeah, understood. Understood. Is there something that you miss most about working at Hofstra Radio? <laughs> you know, you know, there are a lot of things. Um, you know, like the com- the camaraderie, the amount of time we spent down there, the late nights down at Memorial Hall in the office down there, um, just hanging out. You know, maybe maybe jumping on uh, on airwave here and there with some of the hosts, but you know, just hanging out, listening to the show. Um, uh, you know, gra- grabbing, grabbing a, uh, an order from campus pizza or something like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, we could have gone home, but we, we would have done nothing but sit there and watch TV. And a lot of us just hung around the station because it was a lot of fun. It was just fun to sit there and talk with people. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it was with the sports guys. Sometimes it was just, you know, uh, folks from different parts of the station, different shows, whatever, just hanging out. Maybe somebody, uh, 
maybe like a Jeff Foss coming down to do his show and then, uh, you know, would stop in ahead of time, BS with us for 15 minutes and then go do his show. Um, and, you know, I miss that. Uh, I miss broadcasting uh, college sporting events on the road and at home. Uh, just a lot of fun to, to get together with the teams, with the coaches, with your, your announcing partner and, and go do games. And, uh, you know, something I talked about earlier, doing those Christmas Eve shows and getting some of my, um, you know, some of my friends from the radio station back to the house for Christmas Eve dinner and then mm. going to do that show. I miss doing that. I miss I, I miss having that kind of interaction with those people. And, you know, as you know, as anyone else who's been out of college for a long time, it it can be tough to stay in touch with a lot of people. There are yeah. so many people. There are so many names that come up. And you're like, you know, I wonder how they're doing. They were a lot of fun. Um, I've mentioned so many of them already. Um, but, it, it, you know, missing a lot of those folks and just the time you spend at the radio station, it goes by so quickly. And it's it, to me, it's that camaraderie that that I miss the most. Uh, just being down there, hanging out, doing shows. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing like it. Uh, and, and Jeff gave us that freedom and, you know, wasn't watching everything we were doing 24, seven, 365. He, he let us do what we now. If you happen to catch you do something, then, you know, you'd catch heck for it. But, Consequences, uh, yeah, yeah, you can ask some of the guys who did, uh, uh airwave shows on remote, what mm-hmm. they, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. what they got in trouble for. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we've heard a few officially and unofficially. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep looking into that. I'm sure Mark Rene has uh, had a couple of stories. So uh, yeah. he was he was involved in a couple of those things, and Butch Rasby, and I think Tim McDonald and a few others. But uh, yeah, we he would let us he would let us go as far as he could let us go. He might need to reprimand us, but I can't tell you how many times we would do something, and he would read us the riot act, and he then he would say, "But off the record." That was incredibly damn funny. What you guys did? <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't say incredibly damn funny. He would say blank and funny, and right. and and he appreciated what we were doing. But he's like, "Hey guys, we got to stay within guidelines. We're also a college radio station, and we don't want the president or anybody else to say what the heck are you guys doing." Right. So he'd say, "Watch what you're doing, but you know, have fun with it. But you know, let's let's keep at a certain level and not let it go too overboard." Right. Um, if you could time travel and for 60 seconds and go back and see yourself at 18 or 19 years old, what sort of uh, advice or word of information would you give your younger version? Well, that's, um, you know, I think everybody probably thinks about that uh, to a certain extent. I I don't think I didn't have enough fun there. I think that's certainly, <laughs> that's certainly something I did. Um, I wish I had, um, you know, I wish I had been a little more creative as a program director. I wish I had, you know, tried to foster or um, uh, thought more about, <clears throat> about possible shows that people were proposing or th- thoughts and ideas about that. But I mean, in a generic sense, just, what you're doing for the next few years is going to help you or hurt you with, with the career that you're trying to accomplish. And um, you, you've got to have fun, but you need to balance it with harder work. And I wasn't a, a great student at Hofstra at, by any stretch of the imagination. I did well in everything that was radio mm-hmm. broadcasting created uh, based on, but everything else I kind of blew off. And, 
you know, I feel bad that I didn't have the, uh, the, the uh, discipline uh, to do, to do all my classes well, and to also get ready more for coming out of college and say, okay, here's what I have. Here's what I've done. You know, it, it took me a good year or so to find work once I graduated and uh, it wasn't for the lack of trying, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't the right kind of trying. It wasn't being focused enough. Hmm. Um, you know, I had to, you know, I was working, I was trying to make money. I was trying to be able to, to work at a station on my own. I had an opportunity to, I, I guess, yeah, one thing I might've, you know, told myself is you should have taken that job at a radio station in Vermont. Uh, I was too afraid to do it. I was too afraid of, of, uh, how little money I was making. I was too afraid of, uh, I would have been making and, too afraid of, you know, oh, I'd have to rent out a room in someone's house to live. And it was too much of a sacrifice for me at the time to be able to make because I was too afraid of it. But I would I would go back now and I would have taken even if it was for six months, I should have taken that job in, in Vermont. And then if I had to move on because of money, hey, you would have at least had that on your resume early on. Hmm. So there are things like that, being prepped to be able to get out there and have a have a, a bigger career in radio. Uh, that I really wanted, uh, I, I, I would have told myself, you know, yeah, you heard it from dad a lot, but he was right. Be yeah. disciplined, be, be disciplined in, in what you're, if you want to do something, it, it doesn't matter what you want to do, but you got to work hard at it. And I feel like I didn't work hard enough. And, you know, that's why I'd say, look, I know it's hard to believe this, but I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, you, 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 you can get it wrong. Uh, you could still survive and have a great life, but you might have some regret and that's, that's kind of why I've gotten back into broadcasting with Penn sports radio, doing high school sports. Mm. Now I'm working at Fox sports, Lehigh Valley. Once in a while, I go on and, and do some shows and uh, work some baseball games. So um, I got back into it because I, I had that regret about not working hard enough in the broadcasting industry to get where I wanted to. And I'm trying to say, Hey, at least I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make an effort now at 58. Yeah. It's late in the game. But, uh, but, uh, you know, if I don't try at any point, I would really regret not doing anything in broadcasting, you know, as an announcer ever again. So I've kind of gotten back into it and, uh, you know, I would like, I would have liked the 19, 20 year old Tony going to Hofstra. Hey, make the best of this, really learn all you can from these people and, uh, and, and, and apply it and, and keep working hard once you're out of college. Hmm. So one last question. Uh, you mentioned uh, some of the radio gigs and, and, and some other experience. What did you bring from Hofstra Radio? What lessons, what ideals did you bring into your adult life and your work life and your career? And uh, what, what sticks with you from your time at Hofstra Radio? Well, I think, you know, again, I, I think I learned to be vocal. I learned to get my opinion out there. I learned to be heard. Um, because I think before that I was, you know, I had a lot of opinions, I had a lot of thoughts and ideas, but all too often in life, I think I was uh, a little bit too, to myself and not enough. Hey, I have an idea. I have a thought. Um, I, I think there's something that could work here. I, I learned to speak up and, and be heard. And, you know, even if it's a bad idea, um, throw it out there. You never know what might stick on the wall. Mm. And, and I think over time it's been helpful at, at times. And, you know, uh, you got to check your ego at the door, at the door and just do the job. And, and if you can come up with thoughts and ideas that, that are helpful, then speak up and, and say something. So 
just being on the air, just, you know, being, you know, you have to be there. You have to, you have to uh, talk. You have to voice your opinions at times and then holding positions at, at Hofstra radio, you know, you had to, you had to make up, you had to make decisions. You had to uh, have an opinion. Um, so I think working at the radio station, not just on the air, but off air in, in uh, managing capacity taught me to be vocal taught me to get my opinions out there and, and, you know, don't be afraid of the criticism because there always will be criticism. Mm-hmm. Someone's always going to not like what you're saying, just get it out there. And, and uh, you know, maybe it's going to be useful and um, you know, otherwise you're going to, you're going to regret keeping your mouth shut for the longest time. And uh, you know, maybe at times my wife wishes I would do that, but, <laughs> uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm pretty, uh, uh, I'm pretty vocal. I'm, I'm out there. I, I don't shy away. And, you know, Hofstra radio, uh, made me, uh, gave me the opportunity to be able to say, it's okay to speak up and, and say something. Those are, those are great words, whether you're 21 or 28 or 58, you know, to, to be able to speak your mind and, and to speak it well, I think a lot of us can, can certainly identify with that and, and those lessons from Hofstra radio. Thank you Absolutely. for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Tony, this has been tremendous. It's a, it's an absolute honor and thrill to be able to talk to you again. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and, and your time at Hofstra radio. Uh, no problem, Ryan. Uh, anytime. And, uh, I love hearing these interviews from everybody else. They've gotten to hear again, some of those people we mentioned like Mark, Aaron, Mark Renee and, uh, Renee DePew and Eileen DeCallis. And, uh, so good to hear their voices again. You know, I, I'm not on Long Island. I, uh, uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. I don't get back to New York, New Jersey, Connecticut often. So it's good to hear those voices again. And you're doing a fantastic job. Uh, you know, you're, you're an MVP for the, uh, for the alumni here. And we love how ha- we love having you do this and thank you for doing it. We really appreciate it. 